So to give you a little context here real quick, um, Paul's letter to the church of Corinth was really a, a response to a letter that the church of Corinth had written to him with a bunch of questions that they had. So Paul planted the church of Corinth. This dude named Apollos took over after about a year and a half. And sometime in, they, they had a lot of questions about a lot of things. And so Paul's letter to them is, again, answering the questions that they had for him. And the questions that they had for him were super deep, super important, super relevant to the culture. If you look at the beginning, first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, it's all about sex and sexual ethics. And that's because some stuff was happening in the church that they didn't know, like, is this stuff allowed in church? Some people were saying, you shouldn't have any sex even when you're married. Some people were saying, you should have all the sex you want with everybody. And they asked that question and Paul answered it. They then get into another question, meat sacrifice to idols. Is it okay to eat meat from the meat market that had been sacrificed to idols? It was kind of a gray area. Some people said, no, you absolutely should not. It's worshiping the idols. Some people said an idol isn't anything, so it doesn't matter. And so they asked that question and Paul's answering it. And now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins a whole new section on spiritual gifts. They were asking questions pertaining to spiritual gifts because the people of Corinth were really narrow-minded in their view of spiritual gift. And Paul is answering that question. So I just wanted to say like the book of Corinthians is amazing because it is Paul's response to the questions that the people in church of Corinth were asking in regards to the culture. And I just think that the church should be the safest place where people can ask questions, where people can say, what about sexuality? What about these things? What about spiritual gifts? The church should be the safest place where people can come and have questions like Peter. He was like, yo, I got all these questions and the church isn't answering them. I got all these questions and I'm seeing this and that's not happening here. This is a church where we want to invite those questions. We want to speak into those questions and us as believers as well in the culture that we're living in, we have to be equipped and we have to be able to give an answer to the questions that people in culture are asking. And so just wanted to say, if you're here and you're like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I don't know how that like, this is a safe place to ask those questions. You will, you will never be put down. You will never be cast out or pushed away because you may have a different view of something or you may have certain questions about certain things. We want to invite those. We wanna be a church like the church of Corinth, not a church that had it all together, not a church that had it perfect, but that said, we wanna know about these things. And Paul said, let's talk about them. The church has to be on the forefront of addressing the issues in culture or we're, we're gonna die. If, if, they're not gonna, if they can't come to the church to get the answers, they're gonna go to the world to get it and the world's gonna give them a, a, a false reality. But the church should be a place where people can come and ask those questions and get the truth. So the church of Corinth now, again, 1 Corinthians 12, they had questions about spiritual gifts. Again, their views on spiritual gift were, were very narrow and very limited. Ultimately, the people in the church of Corinth were only focusing on the spectacular gifts. So the only gifts that were being given an opportunity to be used were the, were the spectacular ones. Ones, like tongues, miracles, and prophecy, and that's all they were focusing on. And the people in Corinth were defining their spirituality by the spiritual gifts. So if you didn't prophesy, if you'd never healed someone, if you didn't speak in tongues, they were saying, you're not as spiritual or as valuable or as, as, as good as the people who have these gifts. And so again, they were measuring themselves by themselves. They were measuring their spirituality based on the gifts that they had. And those who didn't have those certain gifts that appeared to be more spectacular were less spiritual. And it's interesting because it seems that the same thing has crept back into the church today. This issue that Paul's addressing of spirituality and spiritual gifts, it seems to always creep back in, right? 
like the tendency in church seems to be, and I know because I've been in your guys' position where you're sitting and listening and learning, like, whoa, the person teaching, the person speaking, like, they must be so much more spiritual than me. They must be so much more holy or righteous than me because I'm just sitting here taking it in, but they're the one delivering the word, and it's because they have a higher level of spirituality. Or maybe like worship, right? Like, okay, I sing in worship, but to be on the worship band, to get to, to, get to lead people in worship, those people are so much more spiritual than me. Their hearts for worship are so much greater than me. Or maybe it's comparison with other churches, like, man, that church where, where people are getting healed and in that church where there's all these spectacular gifts, that must be such a better church than this one and like the same thing's happening. Paul is addressing this issue in the church of Corinth. They were, they were putting the emphasis on these spectacular gifts and saying if you don't have these, you're, you're not as good. If you don't have these, you're not as valuable. And so ultimately this is what Paul is addressing and I think it's really appropriate because this is an issue that's taking place in the churches today. And the foundation that Paul lays here in verse one through three, that's how far we're gonna get today. The foundation Paul's trying to lay is answering the question what it means to be spiritual. So this is the foundation. We're not getting specifically into the gifts yet. Again, we have to lay a foundation. The, the, The thing that Paul's addressing is what does it mean to be spiritual? Because they were saying you're only spiritual if you have these supernatural gifts. If you don't prophesy, speak in tongues, or if you can't heal people, you're not spiritual. So that's the issue that Paul is addressing. And the question is, is a person's level of spirituality determined by the gifts that they have? And that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Do you define your spirituality based on the gifts that you have? Or do you look at other people who have maybe gifts that you don't have and assume they must be more spiritual than me because those gifts they have seem so supernatural and so spiritual? So this is what Paul is addressing, an issue where they thought people were more spiritual than others because of the gifts that they have. And ultimately, he's, he's gonna point out what true spirituality should look like in the church, and in culture. And this is a great question for us, right? What is true, what is true spirituality? This is what he's gonna speak into. What, what does it mean to be spiritual? What, what defines a person's level of spirituality? What does it look like in the church? What does it look like in the age and the culture that we live? And more and more, it seems that there's a, a, a huge divide. In our culture today, there is a certain movement that is moving people away from spirituality. Well, a couple different ones. Let me give them to you. Number one would be naturalism. This is one movement away from spirituality. Naturalism teaches that God didn't create. God's not the creator. In fact, everything is a product of natural evolution, the natural processes of life. And so the natural properties that make up life are the ultimate reality. And so the ultimate reality in life is what you can touch, what you can see, what you can feel. That's naturalism. It's a movement away from spirituality. Another huge one in our culture today is rationalism. And that is that our lives should not be governed by spiritual principles or or by religion or spirituality. They should be defined by reason and, and by our knowledge. And ultimately, reason is the ultimate reality. Reason is the ultimate God. So only what you can understand only what seems rational, that's the ultimate fulfillment in life. That is a movement in our culture away from spirituality. Another one, very prominent, atheism. Atheism teaches it's a movement away from spirituality. There, there is no God, therefore nothing is spiritual. You are not spiritual, we are not spiritual. It's a move away from 
spirituality. There's also a lot of movements in our culture today that are moving towards spirituality, but it's a false type of spirituality. Let me give you a few. One would be pantheism. Pantheism is a movement towards spirituality, but it is a false type. It teaches that everything is God and that God is everything. And this is a lot more prominent in our culture than we realize. It's like, oh, I don't need to go to church on Sunday. I can just go to the mountains because God's equally there and he's in the trees and he's the river and and all of that. So pantheism teaches God is everything and everything is God. That's a pretty prominent view in in Ashland. It's a pretty prominent view in our culture today. We also have polytheism. It's It's a movement towards spirituality, but it's a false spirituality. Polytheism teaches that there's many gods. And so you'll, you'll talk to somebody and you can maybe share Jesus with them. And they're like, oh, like I'm, I'm down with that. But they have these other gods they worship too. And Jesus just kind of becomes a part of one of them. They say, you know, I'm spiritual. I practice all these religions. They're, they're all the same. They're all equal. They're all about God. But ultimately it teaches that there are many different gods and you can just pick and choose whichever ones you want. I think one of the greatest ones as well in culture today, a movement towards spirituality, which is a false spirituality, is humanism. Humanism teaches that human desire and fulfillment in, world, in the world is our chief end. It ultimately teaches that you are God, that, that we are God. So whatever you desire, whatever your natural desires are, that is the point of life. That's spirituality. Fulfill your desires, whatever's on your heart, you just do that. It's all about you. And that's a really um, attractive teaching. It sounds really nice because you're the point. Because whatever you want, whatever you feel, whatever you desire, that is the ultimate reality. And so this this question that Paul's about to address here, as he lays the foundation for the spiritual gifts, addressing the question, what is true spirituality? This question is so relevant for our culture today. Because we have these two shifts, people moving away from spirituality, saying, I don't want anything to do with that. And then people moving towards spirituality, but have false ideas about it and false realities. And so this introduction here, verse one through three, is so prominent and so relevant for the culture that we live in. And it's a question uh, that's important for us to ask and, and to really say, how have I been defining and determining spirituality? Is it based off the gifts that I have? Is it based off what I think? Like, like how do you define that and how do you determine that? So Paul addresses that, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look down at verse one. We talked about verse one a little bit last week, but it says this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. We talked about last week this this phrase, spiritual gifts, in the Greek language. It's this word, pneumaticos. It's broad in its range of meanings. It doesn't just refer to spiritual gifts, which is what he's going to talk about starting later in the chapter. It speaks about spiritual persons, spiritual realities, or things that come from the Spirit. So again, don't get focused on just the word gifts. The context here is, what does it mean to be spiritual? Spiritual realities, concerning spiritual realities, things that come from the spirit. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So before he tells them what true spirituality look like, uh, what what true spirituality, a a true life filled with the spirit looks like, he first is going to contrast their spiritual experiences of their past before they came to Christ. And there was primarily two groups of people in the church of Corinth. Verse two, which we're going to see in a second, he's going to speak to those of pagan background. That is people who grew up in Corinth, who who were not of Jewish descent. They they came from a pagan influence. And in the culture at that time, they worshiped a lot 
lot of different idols. And so he's gonna compare their past, those of pagan background, with their present now in Christ. And then in verse three, he's gonna speak to those who were of a Jewish background. There was people in the church of Corinth who came out of Judaism into a relationship with Christ. And he's gonna contrast their previous life that they thought was spiritual apart from Christ now with the true spiritual reality, which is having a personal relationship with Christ. So that's a little uh, little background and context to get you guys going. So let's look at verse two here. He's gonna speak again in verse two to those who were of pagan background. And again, he's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual things, spiritual realities. What does it mean to be spiritual? He's gonna show them in verse two who they used to be, what they thought was spiritual, a false spiritual reality. Look at verse two. He says this, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So again, one group of people that made up a large portion of the church of Corinth were those who were of a pagan background. And in Corinth, there was a lot of different religious processions, a lot of different religious ceremonies where you would be led into a temple to worship an idol. It was extremely common. And so a lot of people who were now Christians in the church of Corinth, they came from that type of background where they would go through these long ceremonies, going into these pagan temples, worshiping all these false idols. And it's interesting, many of these religious ceremonies that took place to these idols were filled with ecstatic speech. I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but one of the main issues Paul's addressing to the church of Corinth is the gift of tongues. And there was a lot of debate over it, partially because these people who came from a pagan background in these false religions, in these uh, temples where they would go and worship idols, ecstatic speech, manic speech was a huge part of what was going on. And so now as they transitioned into Christianity, as they were following Jesus, their background of uh, chaotic speech and trying to get the idol's attention... Um, what was brought with them into the Christian church. And so Paul is addressing that here. And he says specifically, look, this is so important. He says, you know that in verse two, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So he's referring again to their past, what they thought was spiritual, idol worship. But he says, these idols that you guys worshiped were mute idols. Now, mute doesn't only mean that they were unable to speak, which is true. It suggests ultimately their lifelessness and their inability to help. So Paul is saying, some of you guys here, that was your practice. That was your lifestyle. You worshiped mute idols, lifeless idols. And since these idols were lifeless, their their worshipers, the people who were in the church of Corinth who used to worship them, they never were able to receive any actual revelation from them. They thought they were enlightened. They thought they were getting so much out of it. But this is why why, uh, ecstatic speech and manic speech around these idols was so common because they were trying to get the attention of the idols. They were trying to do something to earn the idols' favor. And we even saw this in 1 Kings, I think it was chapter 18, maybe four or five weeks ago. You think of the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. Elijah's there and, and he's like, call out to your God, Baal, who you think is a real present, a real deity, call out to him. And what do they do? They, 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 they dance around, they cut themselves, they yell out. It, it looked crazy. And people would do that in the temples in Corinth to try to get the attention of this false God, to try to receive some sort of blessing. And so Paul is saying these, these idols that you guys worshiped in these temples in Corinth, they're, they're mute, they're lifeless. And notice what he says here, verse two, this is so important. He tells them, you know, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. 
So listen to the flow of the text here. Verse one, he's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed concerning spiritual realities. I I don't want you to be uninformed. They were uninformed. And he says, you know, now he's telling them something they are informed of. He says, you know that in your past, when you were pagans, when when you were worshiping these idols, you you were led astray. He says, now that you're in Christ, they they were now saved out of their pagan idolatry. Now in Christ, he says, you know you were led astray. You know that path you were on, idolatry, worshiping idols, crazy speech. He said, you know that that is isn't the truth. You know that isn't true spirituality. You know that isn't your ultimate reality. And it wasn't until they were in Christ, which they now in the church of Corinth had been saved, it wasn't until they were in Christ that they knew and fully recognized that what they thought was spiritual, what they thought was an ultimate spiritual reality, idol worship, chaotic speech, they thought that that was it. And he says, you know that you were led astray. Now that you're in Christ, now that you see what Christ has for you, you know that all of that was a false reality. And he's reminding them of their past because again, some of their past had crept into the church of Corinth. Some of the things that, that, that they experienced in the past had continued on with them. And Paul's saying, you know that this was a false reality. You know this was false spirituality. And this is such a good reminder for us. And, and, and Peter's testimony, Peter's story goes with it so well. Anything in life, that we follow, that we idolize, that we look to for enlightenment other than the person of Jesus is gonna leave us empty. I think of the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son went and received all of his father's inheritance before his father passed away. He was super rich. It says he went out and wasted it all with prodigal living. He experienced everything that the world had to offer. And then it says at the end of it, we find him in a pig's pen and it says that he was in want. That is where the world leaves us. That is where when we pursue what we want and what we think is best, that's where it leaves us in want. And an idol is, is, is not just what we think of like, oh, in, in their times they went into a temple and worshiped these actual physical idols, which is prevalent in here, here in Southern Oregon as well. But an idol is anything that we put in place of God. An, an idol could be your TV, an idol could be your social media account. An, an, an idol could be anything that we place in front of God or put before God. That is an idol. And Paul is saying, ultimately, that, that's gonna leave you empty. Ultimately, that's gonna leave you broken. And the reality is this. If you're like, hmm, well, uh, I'm a spiritual person. I find satisfaction and contentment in fill in the blank. Maybe you're like, dude, I am completely satisfied and, and enlightened by fill in the blank. Whatever it is you're practicing, whatever your idol is, you will not know how empty that is until you experience the fullness of life in Christ. It's not until they had come into the church of Corinth that he said, now you know you were led astray. You know that was a false reality. And, and, and the enemy's so good at, at tricking us. He, he's so good at making it appear so good. He's so good at making what, what in your heart say, yeah, pursue that. Yeah, do what you want. Yeah, go after that. And for a season, it may feel like, whoa, this is great. This is the ultimate reality, whether it be atheism, naturalism, pantheism, polytheism. Whoa, this is enlightening. This is great. But when you're in Christ, when you experience the fullness of what a spiritual, what a spiritual reality is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, then you'll look back and you'll know, oh, that was, that was so false. I was so off. What I thought brought fulfillment was actually so empty and so vain. And so I wanna challenge us and encourage us to, to, to be on guard 
because there's a lot of things in culture today which are pulling at our heart, which we can think, this is the ultimate purpose of life. This is real spirituality. This is where my heart's going. And Paul's saying, no, it's not until you're in Christ that you realize that. And when you come to Christ, when you come into an ultimate spiritual reality, a personal relationship with Jesus, the reality is this, we all come with a certain amount of, of baggage that is, is from our past, our past experience and everything we went through. We all bring that with us. And the reality is this, the Corinthians, because of their past, their pagan background uh, in these churches, worshiping these idols, because that was a part of their past, again, crazy, chaotic, manic speech, trying to get the attention of the idols, that was a part of their background. And when they got saved and came into the church of Corinth, they were now susceptible to being misled to spiritual manifestations, which is why this was a problem in the church of Corinth. They were only valuing these supernatural, super spiritual gifts because that was a part of their past. That's what was being done in the temples where they would worship idols. And so Paul's saying your, your past, which this is how you used to do it, this is what you used to think was the ultimate spirituality, has, has been brought, into you, brought in with you to the church of Corinth, and that's why Paul is addressing this issue. So what he's saying to them ultimately is that you, you're no longer who you used to be. He says your past and what you used to think was spiritual, what you used to think was an ultimate reality, that's no longer who you are. He's challenging them to to leave that in the past. He's challenging them to put those things away and ultimately allow Christ to reshape the way that they think about true spirituality. And and this is really, I think, a good word for us as well. When when we come to Christ, when you come into a relationship with Christ, there is a certain amount of, of, again, baggage that comes with you, a certain amount of things that the way you think, you think this is reality, you're not sure about this. When we come to Christ, my challenge is we need to allow him, Jesus, the word, to shape our understanding of what is true and what is not. Because we're gonna come with our own bias. We're, we're gonna come with the way that we think sh- things should be. And, and the church of Corinth was doing that. They were bringing the way that they thought things should be done into the church, and Paul's saying that's not it at all. He's saying you need to leave your past in the past. You're a new creation in Christ. And I wanted to um, exhort us in this, specifically in the area of spiritual gifts. Because for the next 12 weeks or so, we're gonna start getting into the topic of spiritual gifts. Paul here's laying a foundation, what is spiritual? But when it comes to this topic specifically of spiritual gifts as well, If you grew up in the church, everyone here is gonna have a a certain bias. Maybe you grew up in in a hyper-charismatic, super Pentecostal church and all the gifts were being used all the time and there was so much going on and and maybe you come into a church like this where that's not happening in that way and and you have this bias and you you could have uh, uh, an attitude of judgment and saying, this church isn't as spiritual. Why aren't all these people prophesying and all these people praying in tongues and why is this not happening? And you could be judgmental if you were raised from a more charismatic background. Or if you were raised in more of a conservative background, you could be critical and judgmental as well because we do believe in the gifts here. We do believe that they should be done in order and we take time to listen and wait on the spirit and we believe that the body of Christ is a body and that different people have different gifts and we want people to use those gifts. But some people could be critical because they've never experienced the gifts being used in a proper way like Paul lays out here in 1 Corinthians 12. And so you could be critical and saying, well, I've never experienced that. Oh, that, that there's, there's healing taking place at that church. Well, that can't be true because I've never experienced that. 
oh, that person is giving a word from the Lord and prophesying. Well, I've never experienced that, so that can't be true. And so my challenge for us as a church is as we go through what Paul writes, what the Holy Spirit inspired about spiritual gifts, we need to lay aside our biases. We need to lay aside the, the baggage maybe that we have. Maybe you were in an environment where the spiritual gifts were being abused. And so you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know if I want anything to do with that because of your past hurts. Again, this is exactly what Paul's addressing to the church of Corinth. He says that the way that it was done for you in the world was unhealthy and you're bringing that into the church and he's addressing it. So I want to challenge our body. We're, we're gonna go through this thing. We're, we're gonna look scripturally at what do the gifts look like? How does the Holy Spirit move and manifest himself through the gifts? And we're gonna take just a, a 12-week series to look at the gifts. But my challenge is this. Be, be open-minded, be open-hearted. Don't allow your past to dictate your future. Don't think that you have it all figured out and I know exactly how it should be because this is the way that I grew up in this church or in this church. Like, let's look at the word. Let's look at what the Holy Spirit says about his role in the church and the gifts and how that works and be open to what he wants to do, amen? Amen. So Paul first again addresses those who were of a pagan background. And again, that had crept into the church. The way they used to do things was being brought into the church of Corinth. And he's saying, this is not healthy. Now, verse three, he, he's going to address those who were of Jewish descent. And this may be a little bit confusing for you, but I'll explain it. Verse three, look what he says. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You're like, what does that mean? Well, let me just explain this as, as simple as possible. In verse two, he says, you know, when you were pagans, you were led astray. He was speaking to those of Gentile background. Now in verse three, when he's talking to the Jews, he cannot say when you were Jews, you were led astray because a Jew who got saved and came into the church of Corinth did not become un-Jew. That, 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 that was a part of their cultural heritage. So it's not like you were a Gentile, now you're not. You were a pagan, now you're not. You couldn't say that with a Jew. You were a Jew, but now you're not. No, they were still Jewish, but they got saved. So what he says here in verse three is, I want you to understand no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. He's speaking to the Jews here because those of Jewish descent were, were this was a common phrase among the Jews at that time. The Jews believed that Jesus was accursed. And the reason for that is because in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, it tells us that a hanged man is cursed by God. So a part of the law was that if you were hung on a tree, it was a curse. You were cursed by God. And so the Jews who grew up in Corinth, they didn't believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah because how could he be the Messiah if he was hanged on a tree? How could he be a Messiah if he hung on a cross? That was a curse from God. And remember, the Jews thought Jesus was blasphemous. They said, you're actually a son of the devil. You're actually Beelzebub. They thought that he was blasphemous because he was making himself ultimately equal with God. And so then when Jesus was crucified on the tree, they were like, yep, he was out of his mind. He actually wasn't God because look, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. Well, Paul later writes to, to the church in Galatia, Galatians 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul points out that yes, 
Jesus was cursed when he hung on a tree, but it wasn't because he was blasphemous. It wasn't because he wasn't the son of God. The reason Jesus went and was cursed on the tree was to take the curse from us. What was to lift our burden, to take our sin. And ultimately in the church of Corinth, there was many Jews who now understood that. The Jews used to say, Jesus is accursed. This is what Paul's addressing in verse three. They said, Jesus isn't the Messiah. Jesus isn't the Christ. He's accursed because he hung on a tree. They then understood the gospel that, whoa, Jesus is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is the Christ because he was cursed on our behalf. Because he took the curse that was given to us when sin entered into the world. He took that for us so that we no longer are cursed. And so Paul is speaking to those of Jewish background in the church of Corinth who realized that their spirituality wasn't what they thought. Their spirituality wasn't found in the law, wasn't found in their tradition, but in Christ. And that's who he's speaking to here. He's saying, you used to say Jesus was a curse. That was a part of your, your, your past. That's who you thought. You lived by tradition. You lived by all these laws, but that was not true spirituality. Now, I do want to point out that that this principle here, again, it says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse three is, is not the only principle in scripture for determining genuine verse counterfeit spirituality, but it is one of the most foundational tests. But if, like, like think about it. Someone could be like, oh, I can say Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, does that mean they're really saved? Like, what, what, what's the deal here? What's he talking about? This is not the only test for whether or not, man, this, this person really is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This church really is is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is one of the most foundational, but it's not the only. And I wanna say it's foundational because um, I think they're gonna throw it up on the board, but 1 John chapter four, I want you to hear what uh, the apostle John writes in four. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So when it comes to true verse counterfeit spirituality, the first test is this. Are they professing that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are they professing that Jesus Christ is God? And that is the first test. But again, it's not the only one because there is a lot of false religions out there, false spiritual counterparts that would say, we say we profess Jesus is Lord, but, but that's not it. There, there's a lot more behind the scenes. And so I'll just throw a few other things out there. Again, we're called to test the spirits. If someone's saying Jesus is Lord, you don't just assume like, oh, that's right. Well, let's go with them. There's a few other things we have to look at scripturally. Number one would be Matthew chapter seven. You can just write it down. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. Matthew seven, verse 15, verse 20. Jesus says that we, we judge a tree by its fruits. Jesus is warning the people there that false prophets are gonna come and we need to judge them according to their fruits. So the first test is, do they profess Jesus as Lord? If they don't, that's not true. That's not true spirituality. Number two, look at the fruit of their ministry because there is a lot of people who could easily deceive us and say, I profess Jesus as Lord, but you have to look at the long-term effects of their ministry, the fruit that's coming from their ministry. And there's a lot of people who would profess Jesus as Lord, but when you look long-term at the fruit coming from their life and their ministry, it's not reflective of the heart of Jesus and it's not reflective of the gospel. So we need to observe the fruit and say, is this ministry, is this individual, is what they're professing? bearing good fruit. And then the third one would just be Galatians 1.8. 
which is where Paul says, if, if myself or an angel or anyone comes and preaches to you any other gospel, let him be accursed. So the third test is, is what they're saying, is what that individual is speaking, is it in alignment with the entire gospel? We have to look at the entirety of the scriptures, the entirety of the New Testament and say, is what these people believe or profess to believe or is what they're saying, is it in alignment with the gospel? Does it reflect the gospel? And so I just wanted to lay those out there because we we could think that, oh, as long as someone professes Jesus is Lord, that's it. No, we have to look at the fruit. We have have to look at the long-term fruit coming from their ministry and we need to make sure that what is coming from them lines up with the gospel. So ultimately, Paul's point here, in in conclusion to this introduction to the question, what is true spirituality? He speaks to the Gentiles and said, you thought that it was a certain way, you thought that it was your pagan way of worship and he said, now that you know that was false. Now you know that wasn't true spirituality. He speaks to the Jews. You used to say Jesus was a curse. You used to not believe he was the Messiah. You used to think true spirituality was in keeping all these laws and commandments and that's why you didn't believe he was the Messiah. And he said, now you know that that's false. And ultimately what Paul says here, the climax at the end of verse three, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. True spirituality which is the question Paul's addressing here, true spirituality is found in this confession, the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the pinnacle. This is the center of what true spirituality is. The church of Corinth was off. They thought true spirituality is defined by whoever has the most gifts. Again, that was baggage from their past. That's how they lived in their past. And and, and Paul's saying, no, What true spirituality looks like isn't who has the most gifts, who's the most miraculous. Look at the fruit. He's saying true spirituality, the pinnacle is the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord, which means the gifts of the spirit, which we're gonna get into, they're not an end in and of themselves. If that was it, if it was just about the gifts, then the church of Corinth would have been right on. But Paul is saying that's not it. The heart behind the gifts is the declaration of the exalted Christ, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is important for us. And and again, as we get into the gifts, I think we have to lay this foundation and I want to warn us, the gifts aren't about the gifts. When you leave here on a Sunday, once the gifts have been exercised, if the pinnacle of your time here was, whoa, that was so rad when that guy was preaching. That was so rad when that person gave a prophetic word. That was so cool, this this person had this vision or this person spoke and interpreted tongues, whatever. If the pinnacle of what's happening here and the focus is we're giving glory to the gifts and the people who have the gifts, we've missed it. Paul's saying the pinnacle of spirituality is the declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord. So when the church exalts the gifts above the giver of the gifts, that's not a good thing, right? And, and, and this is a danger, and this is where a lot of churches fall into. It becomes all about the gifts, and everything's about the gifts, and all the focus is only on the gifts, not the giver of them. The purpose of the gifts is to give glory and, and praise and exaltation to Jesus Christ as Lord, the person who gives us the gifts in the first place. So the true test of spirituality and what it looks like and how we're gonna judge whether or not the spirit of God is working and moving in a particular ministry is not how flashy are the gifts that are being used. The true test is, is Jesus being proclaimed as Lord and are people coming under the leadership of Jesus? Amen? That's the test. And we are gonna welcome the gifts and we're gonna use the gifts, but they're not about themselves. 
The gifts are not for the gifts, they're for the exaltation of Jesus. He says, no one can declare Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We know the Spirit is moving when Jesus is being exalted as Lord. What does that even mean, though? Jesus is Lord. What what does that mean? I love what Garland, this amazing commentator, said about this phrase, Jesus is Lord. I want to close with this. He says, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, no one can say it by the Holy Spirit. This phrase affirms the majesty of Jesus as the one raised from the dead to become the one universal Lord above all other so-called Lords. It declares absolute allegiance to him and accepts his absolute authority over every aspect of life. And church, this is my prayer for this church This is my desire. I believe this is the Spirit's desire for this church. We want to be a church who is known for exalting Christ as Lord, who is saying he is Lord of every aspect of every area of what we do. Christ is Lord. If the focus of our church is we are a church who is all about gifts, look at all of our gifts, we've missed it. We're gonna use them. We believe this is a body. We believe people have gifts. We wanna empower people to discover their gifts, to use their gifts. But the prime purpose of what we do here is proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ, the exaltation and the glorification of the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the true indicator of spirituality. So when we come here on a Sunday, this is what we need to be looking for. This is how you should judge this ministry. This is, this is how you should use wise judgment in any ministry or church you're a part of. It ultimately comes down to, is Jesus being declared as Lord? Is the Lordship of Christ, the exaltation of the person of Jesus, is that the test of true spirituality or is it, is it about all these other side things? That is what it comes down to. And I wanna proclaim to you today and speak to you today and say that if you haven't received that, if you have not received a personal relationship with a person of Jesus, if you have not submitted your life to the lordship of Jesus, he extends that to you, to you today. The gospel and what Jesus did on your behalf, taking the curse on the cross, literally becoming a curse for us so that the curse of sin could be removed from us, that is a free gift that he gives to every single one of us today. And maybe you're here and you've been, like our generation is searching for spirituality. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've been trying to find it. I, I feel like a spiritual person. I've been looking all these places. I think I found it here. I think I found it here. All those things are gonna leave you empty until you come under the lordship of Jesus and you experience what he has for you through the Holy Spirit who he places you, inside of you. That's true spirituality. The lordship of Jesus, he invites you into that today. It's a free gift that he's given to us. And for those who have received it, we gotta be a church who is continuing to be led by the Holy Spirit Because if we're not, again, he says here in verse three, no one can declare Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is not leading and guiding every aspect of our life, we're gonna get off base. We're gonna put so much focus and so much attention on all these peripherals rather than is Christ Lord of my life and what does that look like here? What does that look like in the church? What does that look like in the world? We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us into being a people who lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, Thank you so much for the gift that we have received of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for for sending your son to die on the cross to become a curse for us, to redeem us from that curse and to invite us into true spirituality, to invite us into a, a relationship with you, Holy Spirit, who created us in your image. God, I pray if there's anyone here today 
who, who's been looking, who's been searching, who's been trying to find meaning and purpose, who's been asking the big questions of life, today, by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them the Lordship of Christ. You would reveal to them the, the, the countless blessings and the amazing thing that you have accomplished on our behalf by becoming the curse for us, by making a way for us to have a personal, intimate relationship with you, God. I pray as well as, as we as a church begin this journey of looking at what it is to be a people led by the spirit and to invite the gifts and to allow your spirit and the body to operate as the body. I pray that any, any preconceived ideas or any baggage that we have or hurts from the past that we have around the idea of spiritual gifts, that, that you would just begin to heal those and, and that you would shape our, our theology of the spiritual gifts. You would shape our theology of the Holy Spirit. You would shape our theology and understanding of what it means when the body of Christ comes together and when the body of Christ encourages each other and, and exhorts one another and prays for one another, you, Holy Spirit, shape our ideas. You shape the way that, that, this, that this gathering goes. And ultimately, we pray at the, at the end of today, at the end of every week, at the end of every day of our lives, that you, Christ, would, would be Lord, that, that we would come under the submission and under the authority of you, the one true Lord, the one true King. And we thank you that we have that opportunity today to declare you are the Lord, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. We give you praise and we give you glory. It's in your name we pray, amen.